you might think to yourself, this sure does feel like Easter, and that's uh, intentional. But if you think about our doctrine and the centerpiece of Christianity being the resurrection of Jesus Christ, every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. And it's perfectly appropriate that we would celebrate by singing of the wonderful resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's certainly going to be the case today as we are starting to get to the end of the Gospel of Mark. And we see Mark's account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ this morning. And uh, we are going to be joining the faithful women that were following Jesus Christ and uh, as they journey in, the, in their discovery of the empty tomb in Mark chapter 16 verses 1 through 8. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and unpack this wonderful passage of Holy Scripture, the passage that gives us wonderful hope about our resurrection. Father, we do come before you with a a, a confidence that what we hold before us, what we hold in our laps, what we are reading, what we are looking at today is your inerrant, infallible, inspired, holy word. This is God's book given to man that we would understand the way of salvation. And that salvation comes to us through the resurrected Jesus Christ. That story never gets old to us. Some of us have been Christians for decades, and we could look at this account daily and never get tired of it because our hope is in a Christ who rules over all. Would you please bless us as we, as we join these wonderful, faithful, terrified women at the tomb, and they get the message from the angel, and they go and tell others, would you help us to join with them, be there with them, and marvel at the truth of Holy Scripture. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Please again, to turn to Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8, and we're going to look at three different uh, sections here for this uh, particular passage. You might find your insert helpful. Uh, We've broken that down for you as an outline here. Also, on the back of that insert, uh, something called home group helps, is what our home groups will go through as they they kind of, uh, as as Bridget was talking about, kind of go back over the sermon and discuss some of the aspects of the sermon they found uh, most interesting or most intriguing or had questions about. So you might want to take some notes on some of that as well. But we're going to look here at uh, the approaching of the the tomb in verses 1 through 4, entering the tomb in verses 5 through 7, and leaving the tomb in verse 8. So first of all, approaching the tomb, the tomb, uh, Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, God says, and Mark writes, And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. So we've got one a typical mark, time marker here. It's, uh, it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is over. The, Christ, the uh, Jewish Sabbath, of course, is on Saturday. Uh, so this is on Sunday morning, very early Sunday morning. Uh, but the interesting thing doctrinally about this is notice the term there. It says, when the Sabbath was over, folks, this ended the Jewish Sabbath. As of this moment, with the resurrection of Jesus Christ, on Sunday morning, the people of God no longer worshipped on Saturday. They no longer had all those rules and regulations of Sabbath keeping, the burden that the, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes added to, oh, years over years over years. The Sabbath was over. 
I don't know if, you, if, you've, if, if you've ever been to a Muslim country uh, or, uh, or you've had any friends that are very strict Jewish Orthodox, there, there is a burden to the rule keeping which you can feel uh, very often. We're under grace. We worship a resurrected Lord. It's not about the rules that we keep. Uh, and uh, while we do respect the Sabbath and think that the Christian Sabbath is a time of holy rest, uh, and uh, we ought to limit ourselves to uh, uh, activities of necessity and worship, the, the Sabbath was over. It was replaced by the Lord's day. And, of course, you've got the reintroduction. We saw these, uh, these ladies uh, in the previous passage with the, uh, the death of Jesus Christ, of Mary Magdalene. Uh, Mary Magdalene, of course, is probably a single female because she's known from the town that she comes from, Magdal. Uh, it was stated in Luke that uh, Jesus had driven demons from her. And then Mary, uh, the mother of James, uh, and then Salome. And they, these are the same three women that saw. They paid careful attention. They were at the cross with Jesus died. The men are nowhere to be found, with the exception of John. And they saw. They took very, very careful notes about where they laid Jesus there on the, in that rush on, uh, on Friday night so he could be uh, buried before the sundown, which started the Sabbath. And they were very careful about t- taking note of that because they had intended to come back and give him a proper burial. So that's what they're doing here. They wanted to anoint him with oil. Uh, some would say, well, it's because there was no embalming back then and that would keep away the decay and that kind of thing. There's some truth to that. But really, they just did it because they loved Jesus. They wanted to serve Jesus. And... and, and He was executed as a prisoner. Normally, those bodies are thrown in the Valley of Gehenna. They're just rotting there. Joseph of Arimathea had the the chutzpah. They go to to Pilate and get Jesus' body, and they they, they, they buried him. But it was all such a rush job, they just thought, this is not right. They have to go through the grieving process. So they're bringing these spices in order to anoint him. And then it says here, it's very, very early on the first day of the week. Uh, Matthew says that it was, uh, began to dawn. Luke says at early dawn. So you could almost see these women, like, not even sleeping that night. As soon as they could legally possibly get up and go to that tomb, as soon as they could keep from stumbling over their own feet, they were waiting to get up uh, and make sure that they could serve the Lord in this way. These women are such an amazing example of, of just true pious love for Jesus Christ and a really a model for for each one of us so you got this the Sabbath is ending here just as the uh, the old covenant uh, the curtain the separated God and man was torn in two from top to bottom uh, uh, with a great earthquake uh, they end up coming to this uh, tomb uh, and uh, they end up the open tomb also shows that we have access to God in so many ways. So they came to the tomb here again. Tomb they didn't bury people in coffins. You know, there's not much wood in that area. So uh, you know we spend elaborately on uh, 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 amounts of money on coffins and things like that. They didn't have that. But what they did do is that there's a there's a lot of limestone there. So they would dig out a tomb, and you could walk into the tomb, and they would be almost like bunk beds dug out on the side, and it would be a family burial. And they would put the body into one of those uh, laying places or on a pedestal there in the middle there. And then they would come back sometime later after the body had decayed and they would collect the bones, put it into a box and bury it in an ostuary uh, where bones would go. And they would reuse the tomb. And one of the beautiful things here is Joseph of Arimathea, this very wealthy man, had this beautiful tomb that, was, uh, that, that he had set aside for himself and for his family, and he gave that up in order to be able to bury Jesus Christ in there. Tombs would often have a square rock 
that would be placed in front to keep grave robbers or animals out of the tomb. If you were really wealthy, you would have a round rock, and there would be a little rut there, and the rock would roll into the rut. So the women saw how big this rock was, and this was on their mind. Uh, they, were, they, they, they weren't thinking doctrinally. They were thinking practically. How are we going to get that rock out of the way? You know, one reason why they said that, because there weren't no men around. <laughs> the men were all gone. And they're thinking, how are we going to push that rock out of the way? So while we're affirming the women, I've got to pound the men a little bit for not being around. Of course, if we were going to be crucified with Jesus, we might be hiding as well, I guess. So they were real concerned about this. This is a preoccupying thing. It's funny, Mark, only, Mark who has a lot to say about women, uh, is the only one that actually records this conversation. They were really kind of uptight about who's going to move this stone out of the way. And then notice the next text here. They saw the stone had been rolled away, although it was extremely large. No longer a problem. No longer a problem. Matthew tells us that a great earthquake came and, uh, and opened up that tomb. But I, if I think about this, and I think that the practical application of this, how many times have we been so anxious about something, so uptight, so fearful, that it ended up God had taken care of it already, we just didn't know about it? This tomb was, had been opened. It was just a non-issue. The thing that burdened them the whole way they were there, they were so worried about, God took care of. Well, that's a good example to us, isn't it? How many times are we just humiliated later on by God's grace in the midst of all of our, our anxiety? As Luke 18 says, the things which are impossible for men are possible with God. And, of course, he is the one that rolled the tomb out of the way, not to uh, let Jesus out, but to let the witnesses to the resurrection in to see what was going on. Now we see them entering the tomb in verses 5 through 7. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting at the right wearing a white robe, and they were amazed. And he said to them, Do not be amazed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold, here is the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he said to you. So they see this young man. Obviously, this young man is an angel. and We know that from the accounts of the other Gospels. They all speak of an angel. Uh, it's interesting, actually. Luke and John talk about two angels. Mark and Matthew talk about one, but only one of them actually speaks. And you see that that's consistent with Matthew and Mark. Uh, with There was a, a blind man with Bartimaeus. Uh, there were two of them, but only Bartimaeus spoke, so they just make reference to Bartimaeus, for instance. Uh, the, 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 the garrison demoniac, there were actually two demoniacs, but only one of them spoke, so they only make reference uh, to them here. Uh, so you got this, this, they walk in, and there's this young man this, in this white, bright robe, or two of them here, and one of them speaks to him. This, this, this is the first evangelist of the infant church. This is the first proclamation of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. The grave could not hold him. He has defeated death. This will preach. <laughs> This angel is an early preacher. Of course, angels, they, they don't have human qualities. They, they put on human appearance uh, like we would put on a costume. They don't become human. They actually just show themselves as appearing to be human. But his message is the same kind of message we should have. Our Lord reigns. He has risen from the dead. And because he has, you can be as well. 
It says here, their reference, the reference here, that they were amazed. That idea is to be amazed is, is fear mixed with wonder and astonishment mixed with distress or a terrifying bewilderment. You know, so you can imagine the emotions that they're going through right now. I mean, they, they, they're just confused. They're worried, where's Jesus? We had this job to do. What's going on here? Who's this angel? I mean, and they're already kind of going through all kind of emotional downs right now over the last few days with the, the, having to watch Jesus die on a cross and that sort of thing. Um, but this idea of being amazed here, uh, when he says, do not be amazed, there's probably a little bit of rebuke in that. The, he told you this was going to happen. Isaiah told you this was going to happen. You really shouldn't be shocked that God keeps his word. Matter of fact, Luke, uh, said, the angel says this, Why do you seek the living from among the dead? He had promised this throughout his ministry. This is what was going to happen. I was thinking about this and thinking about that wonderful account on, on the road to Emmaus. You know, you know, you love that story where the resurrected Jesus just kind of starts walking on the highway with a couple of the disciples and is like chatting with them about all the things that are going on. He really took his time with those guys. He spent apparently some time with them. And then uh, they didn't realize who he was. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They were all confused. They were amazed, uh, as these ladies were. And Jesus says this, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. One of the, one of the things that impoverishes the church of Jesus Christ is neglect of the Old Testament. And so many churches, they neglect the Old Testament. They don't teach covenant theology, the connections between Genesis and Revelation. And it's really kind of a tragedy because you can actually get saved by reading just the Old Testament. The whole early church did. And there was an expectation. You should have understood that these things were coming, that only a Messiah that was the God-man could fulfill these truths of Holy Scripture here. So in some ways, he might be kind of correcting them a little bit here. Uh, and... and, and, and uh, there's a demonstration of their lack of faith that they're carrying with them. What are they carrying with them? Spices to anoint the body of Jesus. I mean, they had anticipated that body being there, right? So you can kind of see as he's kind of rebuking them and correcting them, you kind of see Mary kind of hide the spices behind her back, you know, like a little kid that's mother said, uh, you can't play soccer until you do all your homework, and he goes out the room. You know, where are you going? And he got the soccer ball, and he kind of, oh, well, I'm nowhere, really. I mean, you just see, oh, this is a little awkward. We really thought his body would be here. That's why we got all these, what do we do with these spices now? <laughs> you know, how gracious God is. Even when we have lack of, lack of faith, it doesn't affect God's program. Um, and, and then, of course, the women are actually the more believing of all of them, Peter and John. You know, the women go and report about what happened. The men are like, you crazy women. Y'all are always going on about resurrections and stuff like that, you know. And, well, you still got the spices, you know. I mean, uh, you, you, you almost, uh, they're kind of like us, aren't they? A very flawed people with a very flawed faith. But you know what? A flawed faith is enough for the Lord. It's enough for the Lord. He says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who has been crucified. He is risen. He is not here. So here's an unexpected announcement from an unexpected uh, source here. And he says, he has risen. Now, in the Greek, that is in the passive form. So, the, so it receives the action. 
So really, a better translation was he was raised or he has been raised. Because to imply he's risen could imply that he rose on him, himself. But because he was raised, as would be the better transgression, only God can do it. That's when I started off with the, servant, the service this morning by saying he was raised and it completely confused you all. And maybe one of the worst starts of any service we've ever had. But you know, you try different things from time to time. Because really it's better. He was raised. He was raised. Why does that matter? Why does the doctrine of he was raised matter? Because he didn't raise himself. God raised Jesus from the dead. You don't save yourself. God saves you through Jesus Christ who he raised. God rolled away the stone. God sent the angel. God raises Jesus Christ from the dead. So he goes, behold, here's the place that, you, that he should have been laid. Even, even, this is gracious. He's shown the empty spot there where Jesus should have been, you know, sometimes believing a scene. So he, he understands. He accommodates them. He says, this is where he was. You might have seen him be laid down here. Notice he's no longer there. Now, of course, what do the opponents of Christianity claim? They go, you, you can go back to a couple of hours from this, and they claim that the body was stolen away. Or you have other theories that he swooned because people are always swooning after being crucified to death. Uh, and a number of other, or he never really was, or that Barabbas was in his place or whatever it might be. But it's interesting, if you want to see what happens when the, uh, instead of uh, uh, receiving this as good news like the ladies did and like the disciples did, you see this is terrible news for the Sanhedrin. If you go to Matthew 28, you find out what happens, uh, what the enemies of God said. Now, while they were on their way, behold, some of the guard came into the city and reported to the chief priest all that had happened. And when they had assembled with the elders, they have a lot of meetings, don't they? And counseled together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers and said, You are to say his disciples came by night <clears throat> and stole him while he was asleep, while we, while we were asleep. And if it should come to the governor's ears, we will win him over and keep you out of trouble. And they took the money and did as they had been instructed. And this story was widely spread among the Jews and is to this day. I mean, it's full disclosure here. I mean, the, the gospel writer is saying this is what people were saying, but this is not exactly, this is not at all what, what actually happened here. So he, then they are assigned a very important task. There's a little bit of a great commission here in miniature here. But go and tell his disciples and Peter about what's going on. Of course, they, they end up fulfilling that as we look at the other gospel accounts. But don't you love that inclusion of and Peter? His disciples and Peter. Why is that significant? Because Peter really blew it, didn't he? He denied Christ three times, even though he said he would never do it. He denied Christ three times. And I love that. The angel himself makes a special... Of course, Peter, this could have been called the gospel of Peter. Mark learned his information from Peter. But he singles out Peter and Peter and Peter. You can't fail your way out of grace. You cannot fail your way out of grace. And Peter, if anybody had failed, it was Peter. And the, and the angel makes special mention. His disciples and Peter. I love this too because God does the work, but we're to do the witnessing. He's not sending angels anymore. He's not sending angels anymore. He's sending you to tell this gospel truth uh, to other people. And, uh, you know, we had uh, 
uh, uh, we had a speaker that, uh, that uh, ministers in the Middle East, and he spoke uh, often. If the guy's a thoroughgoing, reformed theologian. He spoke about the fact that uh, at times Muslims will have visions. They will have visions about uh, seeking out the Lord Jesus Christ because I think probably because in that hardened environment where it can cost you your life if you have a Bible, the Lord might communicate through some, some spectacular ways that he wouldn't necessarily communicate here. Shoot, here, every Bible, every house probably has five Bibles. They're never opened, right? But the vision is never, this is plan A to plan B of how you get, uh, uh, and I've read some of these accounts, how you get saved. The vision is go seek out a missionary. Go, go find this person right here. They've got a message of hope for you. And the women were the first evangelists of the church of Jesus Christ. They were to go out and speak this message to others. And it says here that uh, he is going on before you to Galilee. Uh, you will see him just as he said to you. There's really a, a, a different emphasis here between Matthew and Mark. They speak of Galilee. Luke and John speak of Jerusalem. In fact, he shows up that night in Jerusalem, right, according to uh, the other gospel accounts. One commentator suggested that they were so slow with their faith, they didn't go on up to Galilee, so he had to appear to them in Jerusalem. I really think it's just a matter of emphasis here. Mark loves Galilee. You know, it started in Galilee with the calling of the fishermen. It's going to end with Galilee, with Jesus teaching his disciples. And, of course, he, John mentions that he restores uh, Peter there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So there's no contradiction in these. It's just a different, uh, the diff- four different gospels, just a, a little bit of a different emphasis. Now we see here leaving the tomb in verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had gripped them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid so they they're running away from the the tomb in sort of a frightened joy here they just can't believe themselves and yet they're they're kind of going out there and it says they said nothing to anyone that means they didn't said nothing to anyone on the way they obviously went right to the upper room or wherever the disciples were staying at that time and gave them the account of what's uh, going on here gave them the good news but of course as we know (laughs) from the other cast they were not believed, <laughs> and uh, their stories were dismissed, which is really interesting, which adds to the credibility of Scripture here. A woman's testimony in a court of law was considered as low as the testimony of a criminal or a slave. Women were not considered to be reliable witnesses. So if Mark is just trying to really prove a point, he would not have bothered to include this because it would have been dismissed. If he, had, he, was, he was going to take this into a Jewish court of law, this would have been completely irrelevant. But Mark's not worried about a Jewish court of law. What is he doing? He's recording what actually happened. And what actually happened is Jesus came up and appeared to, or the, the, the angel appeared to women. Women. So it actually really shows an authenticity here. Uh, and that, that God is not a respecter of persons. He loves women and men equally. He can use women and men uh, equally in so many ways. Uh, so <clears throat> this verse is actually, and you might see a notation in your Bible, this is actually the end of the Gospel of Mark in the oldest manuscripts that we have. Uh, and, and we're going to have one more Sunday in Mark, so I'm going to preach the rest of Mark because it's all throughout the other Gospels as well and the book of Acts. Uh, but the, this is where and it sort of ends abruptly. That's one reason why there is this appendage evidently added to the gospel later on. We'll, we'll, we'll look at that more uh, next week, but it kind of just stops right there. But you know, that's okay, because what do we stop with? A resurrected Jesus Christ. And that's really, when it comes down to it, that's all that matters. 
Because it's not just a matter of Jesus being raised. It's a matter of him taking us with him and us being like him. I don't think I've ever performed a funeral without reference to 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. Listen to these words of hope. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that is, they're dead, if they're a Christian, that you may not grieve as the rest who have not hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive will remain, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. We ought to be just talking about the resurrection all the time because we are people who need comfort. This world's going to hell in a handbasket, but you're not if you're a believer in Christ Jesus. Great, the great uh, theologian, Calvinist Methodist, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've actually stood in his pulpit before, preached to his congregation one Easter because he took seriously the idea that we should comfort one another with his words. And he said this, The resurrection himself guarantees it all. Every enemy has been destroyed. Christ has conquered them, everyone. Christ is our forerunner. He is gone to prepare a place for us, and he will come again to receive us unto himself. So happy Easter to all of us. Father, we do thank you for the truth of Holy Scripture. Again, we never tire of the wonders of the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray, God, that you would just help us to carry that hope and just be so in love with you, we just cannot remain silent. But let us be faithful, as there was that angel, as were those women, to take this message of the gospel to the nations, to the dorm rooms, to our neighborhoods, to the air. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.